this, this idea that as Christians, um, I think there's almost this, this, uh, this desire for suffering. Yes. That it's like we, we value it and we see it. It's almost like we measure if there's suffering involved, then it must be good and it must be God's will. Right. Which I don't. Right. Um, I've just been reading Victor Frankl's book, and his, obviously he talks yes. extensively about suffering. And, yes. and his whole thing is that, yes, suffering can play a role in our lives to help us find meaning and purpose, which I agree 100%. But then he yes. says one thing in there that really has just stood out to me. He says, but let me make it perfectly clear that in no way is suffering necessary to find meaning. To suffer unnecessarily right. is masochistic rather than heroic. Which, so it's right. more that that I want to focus on. The, the, the idea, yeah. like I see a trend within the Christian culture of unnecessary mm -hmm. suffering. Right, and in Catholicism, and in particularly when I was a missionary in Spain, masochism is like a way of demonstrating spiritual superiority. Oh, how so? So it's it, it's very strong in kind of Latin culture, but I can I can speak mostly to like you know the Spanish version of it where I lived, which is that you know you demonstrate openly your suffering as a way of showing your devotion. So they would have these, Semana Santa was um, Holy Week, and the people would walk barefoot behind these Christian um, kind of high, what's the word I want to use? Um, they would have like, it's a word we use a lot in religious tradition, but I can't think of it right now. Like they'd have these highly ornamented floats of like Christian themes and the saints and so on and these kind of Christian relics I guess what I'm trying to say and uh -huh. people would walk behind the floats wearing black head down barefoot so it was kind of like a way of honoring people yeah through their suffering yeah and but they were purposefully suffering and you know people would do things like they would do too much quote-unquote for their families and then suffer and then they talk about their suffering. So it was very masochistic, and it was really absolutely conflated with goodness. And we do it in LDS culture, but it's it's uh, we don't we don't as explicitly honor it as I saw in at least at least Catholic culture. Yeah. So that's interesting when you're saying that. It reminds me, like obviously, I didn't even think of this before. And then in Testament, it seems like that's kind of what. The Savior's talking towards when he's saying, like, yeah. when you're fasting, don't right. remember the don't, words with the, it. Right, exactly. But don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't, don't, don't look like back. you're... I can't remember how they say it, but don't yeah. look bad, you know, don't. you're showing off to everybody. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. suffering. I'm, yes. So, um, so then... Right, because what it, because what it really is, and I, I know you probably have an order to your questions, but it's a form of self-aggrandizement in the name of selflessness. So it's a really a way of inflating the self. It's highly self-absorbed. Yeah. And it's very it's actually strangely a very entitled position. Like I'm owed because I suffer so much. Oh, I'm I'm owed people thinking that I'm a good person, I'm owed people doing what I want, I'm owed God's blessing because I'm suffering. 
Yeah. So it's it's like a way of it's a it's a kind of perverted form of entitlement. In so it, even though it looks like the exact opposite. So, so one of my questions, um, which goes along with what you're just saying, but maybe you could elaborate on a little bit, is like what's the kickback? Like what's the immediate gratification to the Christian that suffers? Like what's their what's the, yeah. I don't want to say benefit, but what's their benefit? To yeah, I think there's at least at least two benefits that quote unquote benefits. You know, one is that you don't you don't have to. Um, first of all, you have this. Uh, it is a again that's that idea. It's a way of looking superior mm-hmm. through the um, self abdication abnegation. It's a way of like giving up things so that you but you are looking to feel superior whether internally or externally. You give so much, you're Christ-like, you do everything for everybody. You know, she's so good, she has no vice, essentially. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so it is a way of trying to prove our goodness to others. Because it's, it's not coming just from the idea of what is really needed, what is necessary, what is going to create goodness in this situation. Because sometimes we will make sacrifices when we're asking ourselves that question because we want true goodness to happen. Right. And sometimes we might even suffer in that. And we might even suffer silently. Yeah. But it truly is silent. The the, the reason why you do it is because you want to create the good reality. And so you're doing your part. But it's not for show. It's not to prove to anybody that you're good. It's about caring about creating something you gave up that's the good form that form that we many of us do is we want to prove that we are good through how much we give up but then the second thing I think that's very very tempting about it is if you're just doing what everybody else wants you can feel like you're a good person without having to define a life define a self define a purpose really stand for something. You're just kind of yielding to what everybody else places on you. So, and and that's a way of not really taking responsibility for defining what is in fact good, uh-huh. what is in fact right, what is in fact important, who in fact you are and who you want to be in the world. It's a way of basically saying everybody else's demands on you are going to run your life. And so it's a way of copping out on the moral imperative to define what's important and valuable and good for you to offer the world. And it's a way of feeling superior because you're basically being taken from all the time. So it's like a fake form of goodness. Right. Very tempting for some of us. Um. I don't know. So it seems like, and I, I mean, I, I feel like that type of suffering, the, the suffering that you're kind of describing, it looks selfless, but it's massively selfish. Yes, it is. So I don't know. I don't know how to ask this because I wasn't really thinking about it before, but I don't know that it's easy for someone. I mean, how would you, how would you lead someone to? recognize that what they're doing isn't selfless because I think it's so easy when you're in that position 
of the of the sufferer, the unnecessary suffering, to feel very yeah. validated that I think it would be hard for you to step back and be I don't Well, I would say what you do is you ask people why are they doing it? And do they think that they're in in doing it that the greater good is actually happening? And if so, what is the greater good? Yeah. Another way to say it is, do you feel resentful? And if so, why? Because the resentment is usually you think you're owed something for your good works. You're owed people feeling good about you or not taking what you're, you know, taking advantage of you or whatever. Yeah. The person who's suffering out of a sense of purpose and direction is not going to feel resentful. So it almost sounds like you're describing two qualities of suffering. Like, well, I think you are. There's that. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. So it sounds like you're describing two qualities of suffering. Like there's the suffering that happens when it's unnecessary, and it it looks and feels one way. But I absolutely think, and I agree, that there there is suffering tied to virtuous acts. Like there is. I don't think it's virtual yeah. is free from suffering, but I feel like that type right. of suffering is different. I don't know if you can yeah. maybe elaborate on yeah, well, that what, a little bit. Well, what I would say is suffering is not a virtue in and of itself. And sometimes virtue does require suffering. Yeah. Because sometimes the right act requires sacrifice of something that you value or want. Um, but it, the suffering isn't considered a virtue in and of itself. And so um, it's just that you're willing to suffer if you must for the greater good to happen. Yeah. But the perversion is suffering is a self giving up the self is always a virtue. I wouldn't say that either. that's true either. Sometimes you have to give desires of the self for the greater good. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that being, giving up the desires of the self is always good, <laughs> right? And so, and so it's a lot of us have taken the perverted form that what is selfless is always good, what is suffering is always good, and we want this kind of overt form of, you know, the self abnegation to be always good, and it clearly is not. Yeah. So it seems like, in the way that you're talking about it, that choosing the unnecessary suffering is an easier mm-hmm. easier path in the sense that it doesn't require as much thinking. I don't know how else to describe it. but it's, it Yeah, discernment. It doesn't require discernment. And it looks selfless, but it's selfish. Yeah. So the person that suffers because they want the greater good, it actually is selfless. You know, I mean, because it's not about them. They're not thinking about the credit. They're thinking about their part in creating the greater good. The sufferer wants the credit. Yeah. Yeah. The masochist is self-absorbed. Which I think is very much, I mean, (laughs) I have to teach Sunday school and so I've just been reading the Abraham where, you know, comparing and contrasting Christ's response 
and Savior and Satan's response to Savior, Satan wants all that credit. I don't right. know that he's necessarily looking that's for right. suffering, yes, but that's right. We're, no, that's that's right. I mean, and it's, it's the, very much what Christ was critical of was that idea of of doing it for the show of things, as opposed to the desire to do goodness. Yeah. It's another question I have, but I think I feel like you've kind of answered it. Is like like what's the antidote to it? I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, asking what's the yourself. Antidote? To to the unnecessary yeah, okay, suffering, like how do you, yeah, how do you? I, I don't know the right. This is where you lose the self to find yourself. Is 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 the idea that I I need to stop making it all about me? Okay, so so let's say the mother who is capitulating to everything in her marriage and in her children, mm-hmm. and she is fostering an entitled spouse and an entitled children. Well, here's the antidote is, is that good for your husband and your children? I mean, it's not good for the woman, but is it good for the children? Hmm. Yeah. Yield whenever they stamp their feet? No. In fact, you aren't doing what your children need you to do. They need you to set a limit. They need you to say no. You to not be a martyr because they feel pressure to coddle and and accommodate you for all your suffering, quote-unquote, you know, like, you know, like that whole line of, I gave birth to you for 20 (laughs) hours and you won't do X, you know. Yeah. It's the same thing, like, because I have suffered, you owe me. And so the question is, do, is this good for your child? Is it good to teach your child to either take advantage of you or have to take care of you because you suffer all the time? No, it's not a virtue. Because you won't grow up or take more responsibility for your decisions and because you are, you know, basically using the, your, the idea of your suffering to hijack your child's life, yeah. it's not a virtue. It's not good. So uh, it's actually a way of taking over. It's, it's a way of basically not loving your spouse and it's a way of taking over your children's lives in a way yeah it doesn't look like it you know the tyrant who's screaming and yelling and throwing things you can track the way that they take advantage of their family very easily right but the one who's sort of you know so selflessly quote-unquote giving everything up and never stands up for herself and is always in a kind of weak resentful fearful position she basically pressures her children to take care of her stand up for her, solve things for her. She takes over her children's psyches. She really does. Yeah. And that's a very, very damaging position, and especially because it's hard to track it for what it is. So in addition to being just hard to track, which I agree, it is hard to track, I mean, what other things do you see happening that kind of um, perpetuate that cycle? Well, that that perpetuate it. Or that just like kind of, that things that just kind of value it so that it keeps, keeps it alive, that idea that, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the one idea is the idea that, uh, okay, so the idea that it's goodness, well, then nobody can kind of stand up to it because you're asking this person to not do a good thing, even though it makes you so 
frustrated, right, if you're on the other side of it. Yeah. So it's, it, it, you know what you're saying, like the, the people around the masochistic person often have a hard time telling them to knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's seen as good, you know, should I tell her to stop, you know, always, I don't know. It's a little bit like the realtor that sends you gifts and stuff. You feel now obligated to them. And so it's a way of kind of hijacking you. Yeah. <laughs> because you feel sorry. They've done all these nice things for you. Now it would be so wrong to not invite them to the party or whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> so that's the other upside for the masochist. Is it's, a, it's an oblig- It looks selfless, but it's a way of obligating people around them to take care of them. Yeah, keeping them connected or right, whatever. Whether it's their children, their friends, their spouse, this idea that they're so good, how could you say no to them? Yeah. Or they're so or they're so weak, how could you say no to them? Because they don't ever do anything for themselves. They only do things for others, so they have no strength. Therefore, you, you, you kind of have to take care of them. Yeah. I also see this may be a tangent that's not <laughs> worth going down, but it seems to like... Um, like some of my guy friends in relationships, it, what tends to be stereotypically a woman and a male, and this tends mm-hmm. to be an alias woman. Um, but some mm-hmm. of my guy friends, I see them um, praising their wife yes. for that type of behavior, for that unhealthy Absolutely. type of behavior. And I think that Absolutely. I think Absolutely. that complicates. It gets, it gets a lot. It does. Oh, it totally does. It gets a lot of credit in the Mormon female world. Yeah. You know, just that kind of, she runs around and does all these things. She's such a, bless her heart, you know, such a sweet person. <laughs> yes. And so on. <laughs> so it is a way, you're not, you're certainly not a threat, you know, I mean, in that sense. Yeah. And so it's a way of getting kind of high cultural marks, high social marks, and the kind of, so that's one aspect of it. And then, but it is kind of obligating. You, you sort of you sort of adore it. I don't know how to say it. You, you kind of put it on a pedestal. But <laughs> yes, it's like the it's, it's the character we all adore, but none of us want to emulate yes. kind of thing. <laughs> Nobody really wants to emulate. Nobody's really intimate with that person because she's so kind of unwilling to really be known because she doesn't have herself. Right. I think we take advantage she's, of it to the point that it benefits us, but that's as far as we like it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, but when it comes time to really hang out with her, it actually is kind of hard because she doesn't really have a self. So everything that you say she agrees with, yeah. you know, every she whenever she's in conversation with you, she wants advice and input because she never dares to make decisions on her own. You know, and so it's actually kind of hard to spend time with her. And then it makes you feel guilty as the as I sort of get bored or I feel frustrated talking to her because I feel like. She just will mirror whoever she's with, and if it's you know, yeah, and so you don't feel like you really know the person, and so people like that can be kind of confusing actually. For it's like, why do I feel anger at this super nice person? Yeah, um, but you, it's hard to track the way they take advantage because they look so much like the opposite on the outside. 